preparation for this sermon, I have asked some of the, uh, the intellectual giants to do theological reflection on my theme. And uh, so naturally I turned to Beller Drama Department. <laughs> and so um, with Bob Lee as the writer for this, uh, I, I asked Bob if he would take a look at helping us figure out a, uh, a remedy for the Christian who is a confessing Christian in a thoroughly postmodern world. Take a look. Has this ever happened to you? Look, Cindy, we've worked together for years now, but I've got to say, I just don't think we're on the same page with this Christian thing. Or how about this? I am sorry, but I just cannot accept that Jesus Christ is the only way. I mean, isn't that a little judgmental? Huh? Don't you think? I don't need to be judged. Or even this. What are you, nuts? You actually believe this stuff, right? A loving God who sends people to hell. You just keep your intolerant religion to yourself, Missy. Okay? All right? Okay? Ouch! That's gotta hurt. Well, no more. Announcing the new PC Bible. Yes, this new ACLU-approved politically correct translation is guaranteed not to offend. With life-affirming verses like... For all have mismanaged their life and fallen short of the glory of God. Or... I am one of the ways, the truths, and the life. If anyone does not believe in me, they would do well to look toward Buddha or Mohammed or that Joseph Smith guy. Or even... I am the vine. What kind of plant do you want to be? Yes, the PC Bible. With this version, those hard-to-memorize Ten Commandments have been slimmed down to an easy-to-remember list of four. In addition, we've omitted all those troublesome references to judgment, evil, sin, hell, and tithing. And as a bonus, we've taken out the entire book of Revelations. After all, who needs that kind of stress? We've also added several soothing and comforting phrases of our own. Expressions like, Whatever. And, That's your truth. And, It's all good. Buy the PC Bible today, and your life will be replete with scenes like this. Available in six different PC covers. Don't delay. Buy the PC Bible today. Manufacturer not responsible for personal salvation or subsequent hell and damnation. The PC Bible can be found in the fiction section. It's the Bible you can't wait to miss. Okay. Well, if you could sum up everything that you confess today as a Christian, could you say that in one sentence? What would you say? One sentence. The men and the women of the first century church were able to do that. One sentence. Three words. Jesus is Lord. Long before we had a book of confessions, which we have today, there's 11 of them, glossy cover, there was one confession. Jesus is Lord. Even before the Apostles' Creed, 
the early Christian church understood who Jesus was and who God had made him. And those three words, Jesus is Lord, changed the world. Now, if we could go back in time to the first century Jerusalem, about A.D. 30, 50 days after Jesus was crucified, we discover there's a hubbub, not only in the synagogue, but in the marketplace, in the courtroom, and in the homes of observant Jews. What was going on? One man claiming an astounding thing, making a claim that no one had ever heard before. Our scripture today is taken from the first sermon of the first church in Jerusalem. It's going to be projected here on the screen. We're going to read today from the NIV on the screen. Your pew Bible is a different version, so if you want, you can hum along. But we're going to read from the NIV today. And these are excerpts from the first sermon of the first church. Let's read together. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth is a man credited to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you, God sets purpose, and foreknowledge, you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death, nailing him to the cross. God raised him from the dead, fleeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Therefore, let all Israel be sure to this, God has made this Jesus, who you crucified, the Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, promises for you, children, for all the Lord our God will call. Okay, this ends the reading of the Word of God. This, friends, you are reading is the record that we have extant of the first sermon of the church. This is Peter, the disciple of Jesus, the one who was a doubter, the one who betrayed Jesus, who has now become a confessor. And the stellar thing that was happening on this day, we had Jews coming from all over. It was something a little bit like the United Nations of the Jews. Observant Jews had come from all over, really, the world, the Roma world at that time, to observe a special feast, Pentecost. And this feast was taking place 50 days after Jesus was crucified. People came from as far away as Rome, the island of Crete. They came from Asia, Asia Minor. And they'd all come together as observant Jews. And as George preached about about two weeks ago, something amazing happened. The Spirit of God came upon these, the believers who were gathered together at the feast, and they began to speak in other tongues. And with all the confusion and with all the questions that were raised from that, Peter stood up among them and said, These people are not drunk, 
What you are seeing has happened by the Spirit of God. And then the words which we have read. And these people, many of whom did not know Jesus of Nazareth, were not acquainted with what had happened in Jerusalem, that Jesus had been crucified, that Jesus had done miraculous things, that he had been seen again. Many of them were hearing for the first time the name Jesus. But what they were hearing that hooked them was that the name Jesus was being put on the same level as God. Curious, curious Jesus is the confession, Jesus is Lord. And what was being told to them in Peter's sermon was, God has made this Jesus, the context, the one who was crucified, both Lord and Christ. He was saying, Jesus is Lord. Now all observant Jews found the name of God much too holy even to speak. And so the the four letters in the Hebrew text for the name of God were spoken as Lord, curious. But what Peter was saying was, curious Jesus, Jesus is Lord. And on that day, 3,000 people came to knowledge of Christ, came to trust in Christ. And this was the beginning of the church. While we live in a world today that's becoming more and more suspicious, both about us and about our confession, Jesus is Lord. So therein, the video had it right. Now we have people who are writing to the church and to church leadership to tell us the church is facing times such as we've never seen before. So strikingly different from the times the church was born into. These people who write to the church and say to the church, if you are going to survive, you have to have a new face. You have to be different. Because the church has never seen what we have in our culture today. The assumption that that warning to the church is based upon is the assumption that the early church was born into a singular world, a simplistic world, a monochromatic world, an intellectually naive world, a world where there was a singular government, lack of other confessions. That assumption is not true. And we're going to talk about that today. The first three centuries of the church were actually forged against a profoundly multicultural world. The confession Jesus is Lord was cross-current to many of the same things today as it was in that day. The confession Jesus is Lord was always a confession over against other powerful, both powerful confessions and powerful forces. I will just name three. The confession Jesus is Lord was always politically incorrect. You will remember from your history that in that first century in the Roman world, the confession that was politically correct was Caesar is Lord. That was a confession that had to be on everyone's lips. Otherwise, they were a traitor to the Roman government. Christians did not confess that. We know that Christians were imprisoned. What happened to them was the anger of the imperial Rome came and was poured out upon them, particularly during the time of Nehru. 
But even before him and before the birth of Jesus, Augustus Caesar allowed himself to be called the savior of the world and noble God. There's an inscription found in 12 BC to Augustus as God and Lord. It was not okay or it was not correct to confess Jesus is Lord. Two Roman officials writing back and forth to another, uh, are re- their message is recorded. One of them is Pliny the Younger. He writes complaining about these Christians that he has imprisoned. He says to Trajan, they sing a hymn as if they're singing to God. Trajan says, lighten up. Give them time to recant. And Pliny the Younger said, responds, I am lightening up. I capture them. I give them three chances to recant. Then I kill them. Lightening up. It was never culturally correct to confess Jesus is Lord. The Christian church was born out of the womb, so to speak, of Judaism. You know that the first Christians were Jews. And as they came to understand who Jesus was, though they had lived with him, they'd eaten with him, they saw him crucified, and then they saw him raised and put their fingers in the hands, the holes in his hand and in his side. They understood that God had made Jesus Lord and Christ. And so when they begin to confess that Jesus is Lord, they were put out of the synagogue. And the synagogue was, was all of life, was their culture, was their fellowship. But when they confessed this confession, so contrary to the confession of Judaism, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Christians saying Jesus is Lord, they were put out of the synagogue. It was never culturally correct to confess. Christians also confessed against rival lords of the mystery religions of that day. In the first century, there were a number of ways of thinking about um, practicing your faith, so to speak, or I should say better, spirituality. The mystery religions of the day focused on three things. They were eclectic, they were experiential, and they were privatistic. They were experiences which uh, were sometimes kept uh, in secret so that only those who were adherents could be involved in them, and they were, uh, they were private. So if you were practicing a certain uh, cult, uh, everyone was not invited. It was all done in secret. One or more of them venerated cycles of fertility and death, and attempted to tap into the great energy of the cosmos. Something in that sounds familiar. They elevated spiritual experiences. But all of these mystery religions had as part of them this eclectic nature, this experiential nature, this private nature. Well, you might be thinking, oh, that's fine, good, good history, but what does that have to do with me? What is so relevant to us about where the first century church found itself is that the confession Jesus is Lord 
which was so radical in its day when it was first confessed, is just as radical in our day, and even more so as we go into the future. But what is even more radical than our confessing Jesus is Lord to our culture is our interpreting it for them so that they can understand what it means to know Christ, to be in relationship, in fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. It's our living it that will help our culture understand who Christ is and transform this city for Christ. Jesus is Lord is the confession for our time. But there is a problem. And the problem is that there's a lot of, there's a lot of people, there's this whole culture of people, and, and these are good people, Christian people, people that attend church services and love to sing hymns, people that love the worship. They are people like us. But these good people are slowly but surely out in the marketplace and in the workplace. They are giving themselves to other lords. And these other lords are stealing their voice, their attention, and their power as God's people. Who are these rival lords? I'll just talk about three of them just to get you started thinking. One of these rival lords is the lord of the culturally correct. Our secular culture believes that morality is relative, denies that there is such a thing as wrongdoing or sin in particular. What we do have in our culture is inappropriate behavior. We have impropriety, misconduct, misjudgment. We no longer have fraud in the field of science. We have scientific mismanagement and fiscal mismanagement. And I would add lamely, wardrobe malfunction. (laughs) The That is the Lord of the culturally correct, and that is the culture that we live in. There's another Lord, the Lord of the politically correct, and in the politically correct, inclusivism and plurality are what we must uh, live by. And it is only inclusivism and and plurality that are correct. And you know what? We should be, we should jump on the bandwagon on inclusivism because Of all people, we Christians know that God came for the whole world. We should jump on the bandwagon. We should be the most, we should lead in talking about being inclusive. Every single one of God's people, God's children, should receive all the privileges and all the joys and have all the opportunities of any other person. So we love that. But what happens with the politically correct? is there's a suspicion that goes along with inclusiveness and plurality, and the suspicion is of any one narrative, any one story that is one for all people, such as this narrative, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believe in him have everlasting life. 
That's one story for all people. And what is wrong with the politically correct is that a, a, a narrative like that is held in suspicion because we have to be inclusive to be politically correct. And then finally, and this is just to get you started thinking, there is the rival lord of self. And that lord is probably the one that's hardest for us. That is that we can take as our lord the the management of our image, the living to soothe and satisfy and secure our own happiness. And that Lord can suck up all your energy and all your life and all your time and all your finances. That Lord is the Lord that is appealed to by most of advertising. You notice that everything from weed killer to facelifts rely upon addressing, satisfying yourself. And this is just to name a few. Every one of these three, as different as they are, every one of these three rival lords want to steal your voice, your attention, and your power as Christian people. But they cannot if Jesus is Lord of your life. They cannot have it if Jesus is Lord. Um, how many of you saw the Passion of the Christ? Okay. Do you remember the scene where at first you can't quite make out what you're seeing, but then you realize that the camera is down at ground level? And the camera pans back slightly, and you see a, a hand scraping across the, the ground. Remember that? As the camera pans back, you realize it's Jesus drawing a line in the sand. And on this side of the line, there's the identified sinner. On that side of the line, the identified religious. Remember that scene? And as the camera goes back, you can see over on that side, the other side of the line, you can see the anger, you can see the judgment, you can see the condemnation in those people. They've got stones in their hands. And they're ready to use them. On this side of the line, there's a woman too frightened to lift up her head. Hands touching Jesus' feet. On this side of the line, there's grace, forgiveness, compassion, salvation. What I want you to remember is that Jesus is still drawing a line But this time he's drawing it in front of us. Which side of that line are you on? I'm not asking if you're a good person or if you've done good things. I'm asking you, is Jesus Lord of your life? Which side of that line are you on? 
You can either be three things today, one of three things. First thing you can be is someone who never asked Jesus to be Lord of their life. You heard before, maybe, but you never asked Jesus to be Lord of your life in prayer. You can do that today. And what you need, I want you to hear, I want you to remember, is Peter's words to that first crowd when they said, What shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent. Which means, turn completely around. Turn completely around. If you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, you need to turn completely around and step over that line to decide where Jesus is, where forgiveness is, where grace is, where hope is. The second thing you can be is a person who did that long ago. It's somewhere in the past, some sort of dusty piece of your past. And it became dusty because it happened and it was an experience, but other things in the world have slowly but surely taken away your energy and your time out of that relationship. If you're one of those people, you need to repent. You need to turn from that course, step over the line to decide where Jesus is Lord. The third thing you can be is someone who's walking with Jesus. Jesus is Lord of your life. You've let him be, you've let his grace Open up your life. You've come to him. You're on his side of the line. The side where sinners and saints are welcome to be. Which side of the line are you on? Your whole life, overviewed as a whole, can either go in one of two directions. You can either be progressing slowly away from Christ or progressing slowly towards Christ. You can't just be staying still. Where are you today? The first church had one confession, a confession that changed the world. The confession was three words. Jesus is Lord. Can you confess it? Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we confess that we have allowed other things to claim our attention, other things to claim our direction, other things to claim us. When you were all the while here for us, offering grace, forgiveness, salvation, and hope, Lord, forgive us for our wandering awareness, for our partial trust for our unfaithfulness and to open our hearts to your lordship over all of life. We pray this in your amazing name, Lord Jesus. Amen.